This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello, Katie. And Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. So we may as well get this out of the way. We are recording on election day, so we don't know how the election has turned out, and you do as you listen to this. So uh, be kind to us. So our nerves are way more frazzled than yours are probably as you listen to this. But it's a good thing that there is an entire industry devoted to escapist entertainment to take our mind off of the election, and that would be Hollywood. We're going to dive into both TV and film today, talking about Netflix's super lavish new series, The Crown, and then also the new sci-fi movie Arrival, which premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and opens this weekend. First, a few bits of news in the Oscar race. Uh, we keep talking about Fences, which is directed by Denzel Washington, August Wilson adaptation, and seems like a Oscar slam dunk for Viola Davis. And there are no reviews out of Fences, but it's screened for an industry audience, quote unquote, in Los Angeles. And there are various posts online kind of talking about how there's buzz emerging that basically confirms what we all thought, which is that Denzel Washington and Viola Davis are really in the Oscar race. Mike, what's the point of screenings like this when people are kind of like, nah, 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 I saw the movie, I can't talk about it, but clear space on Viola Davis's mantle like is it just to keep the hype machine going yeah it's literally this moment right now <laughs> we are feeding into <laughs> yeah. the machine they hand select a group of people and they're kind of creating their own outcome in two ways or, or tipping the scale in two ways one is they're pre-selecting who they're going to invite definitely knowing that these are people who are like friendly to movies who like everything whatever it is i don't want to cast aspersions but that's what they're trying to do well also put it that way whether or not they're successfully doing it or not and like, we're also sitting here jealous because none of us got yeah. to go yes of course okay <laughs> keep keep that in mind and secondly <laughs> by flattering them and I've been to plenty of these things. Believe me, mm-hmm. it's fine. I'm cool with everybody involved in this. But just to elucidate what's happening, then by flattering them, by saying you're the only people who've seen this and you're not even allowed to say that you saw this, they make them even more inclined to like the movie because everyone wants to be the first to see a movie that's really good, not yeah. like a movie that sucks. And then it's very kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod, please don't say anything. Yeah. And knowing that these people are going to do everything in their power to kind of let it be known that they saw it and that it's amazing. Yeah. And you have Denzel Washington in the room to do a Q&A after. So even yeah. if you're kind of cool on it, you're like, oh, wow, hey, Denzel Washington's yeah. really charming. And this happens not just at Wink, Wink, Nudge, Nudge screenings, but many, many Q&As throughout the yeah. season where you warm up to the star at the end of it. And frequently they'll stock the audience with uh, friendly people as well, who aren't journalists, right? So yeah. they're also bringing in some group of people who are so unbelievably flattered they're there that they're like giving a standing ovation at the end of it. Yeah. That's how I saw Selma. Great way to see a movie. Mm-hmm. I really was very <laughs> pro-Selma by the end of that. Ava DuVernay hanging out with us. You guys are the very first people yeah. to see this movie. How could you not love that movie? It's a good movie. Yeah. But like, you know, it works. I think I was at that screening. I yeah, literally you texted there. someone like, I've seen the Best Picture winner. Right. Didn't work out. 
<laughs> don't listen to my Oscar predictions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Joanna, you were at the Mill Valley Film Festival, which is another version of this. You know, there's definitely some Oscar voters up in the uh, in the Marin County. I mean, is the is the vibe in that room so much that you think it can just really like create buzz that doesn't exist, or should we believe that you know Washington and Davis have it all in the bag? Oh, I, no, I, I think I remember you coming out of that Selma screening. <laughs> like, <laughs> were you the person I texted? I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think it is that film festival mood that we talk about to the extreme of just sort of, you got this starstruck tunnel vision that even the best of us are susceptible to. I certainly was when Emma Stone was at the La La Land screening. Like, you know, you, you just feel it. It just, it's, I think it's impossible to take any of that with a clear eye, but, and that being said, you know, I've read the coverage of it and it's so vague and wink, wink that I just, I just don't know what opinions we can form out of that fence of screening at all. Here's what I'm reading at Variety, written by Chris Tapley, who's been writing about award season for a long time and is, you know, a, a knows as much about this as anyone. He said, reviews are currently embargoed, but it's fair to at least note that both Washington and Davis have now charged ahead in their respective Oscar races. The crowd certainly seemed to agree with that sentiment, bursting into applause after multiple big moments in the film and greeting the whole team with an enthusiastic standing ovation afterwards. Got that standing ovation. I, I mean, you, you don't, so don't do <laughs> If you're not going to get the standing ovation, don't bother doing it. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this thing, really is, know this thing is designed for a standing ovation. Yeah. Uh, real quick, what you said about Emma Stone. I, Emma Stone has been everywhere lately. Like she is showing up at Q and A's and film festivals with La La Land, on, and to a degree that like I'm really impressed by. Like she's a big A list star. And doesn't she, have think to do this. She wants this. an Oscar. You think she thinks she can smell <laughs> I, it? I want, especially now that Viola left. Well, oh yeah. Well, I think I told you my theory, and <laughs> I feel like we keep coming back to Best Actress by accident. But okay. my theory is that Emma and Natalie Portman split the younger vote, and net betting storms in and wins. But oh. it could happen. It could happen. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm very bullish on Emma. But to come back to Fences, I did hear from a veteran Oscar watcher who was not part of that little screener screening, um, a, a very succinct, somewhat dismissive thing, which was Fences is a play. Ooh. That was it. That's all they said. But that was in terms that was in the context of Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone coming out of this is saying it's going to win Best Picture, right? It's hard to know. I mean, I think what people are saying is basically it's correct that what everyone thought, which is that Viola Davis is a shoe in for a supporting actress, is basically true. Mm-hmm. And something that we had discussed in the dark as we remain, yeah. that Denzel was probably going to get into Best Actor. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the people coming out was like, it's going to be real interesting between Denzel and Casey Affleck. In he a has weird two way, Oscars already. That would be yeah. really impressive if he went for a third for this. Now, of course, I wonder, the fact that he directed it probably does help him in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes it this accomplishment times two. Yeah. On the other hand, he has won a bunch of stuff before. And the fact that one of the people at that screening designed to make you think that this is the greatest movie in history was still saying that Denzel was going to have to grapple with Casey Affleck makes me think Casey Affleck might still actually yeah. be in the lead position. Yeah. But we are obviously grasping at straws here. Yeah. Hopefully someone will invite us Since to a no one invited us to the damn screening. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Well, all the buzz is in Los Angeles this week because it's also the sort of the AFI film festival. Um, it's going to have the premiere of Peter Berg's Boston Mayor movie uh, Patriot's Day but that's next week um, this week it's opening with Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply the Howard Hughes movie uh, and there's also a sense that Paramount has premiered some of their big contenders there as surprise screenings in the past last year they brought the big short there and believe it or not the big shorts Oscar buzz didn't start until mid-November which yeah, now I, I, feels yeah, crazy yeah 12, year, 12, 12 years ago it feels like <laughs> 12 months ago no one <laughs> even had heard of the big short yeah n- yeah. so they've, they've got both silence and offenses as we were just, just discussing so there's still room for that to happen 
But uh, in the meantime, we're going to have both uh, Warren Beatty and Annette Benning on hand for rules that don't apply in 20th century women. So that power couple's back in. That's going to be fun. That's yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm I'm into that. What else is is, is opening? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, La La Land is there. Jackie's there. Okay. It's a lot of a lot of the kind of familiar titles you've been seeing. And then uh, there's a movie with Robert De Niro called The Comedian that could be really interesting or could be nothing, and it's kind of hard to tell. So we'll have uh, we'll have reports on that next week when uh, some of our LA colleagues have seen it. Am I right that La La Land is kind of in the lead position for best picture or not really? I mean, I don't, unless silence is kind of waiting in the wings as a huge thing, which mm-hmm. I mean, and it's unseen, so you can't really say that. I can't think of anything that's I mean, ahead I've, of La La Land in terms of goodwill. I've heard that Hidden Figures is a threat. I mean, I don't know if this I don't is, know if anyone's seen it. Yeah. But yeah. Th- they will huh. soon. I'm not getting Best Picture winner off of the Rules Don't Apply buzz. But. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone's glad to have Warren Beatty back, mm-hmm. but it seems like if it were a real uh, threat waiting in the wings, we'd know about it by now. Yeah. I don't know. Joanna, are you hearing anything? Uh, from out here on the coast, uh, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the same rules do apply to this that we talked about earlier, which is that there's this mood that we want an uplifting film uh, in in the front of the Best Picture race this year, this year more than any other year. So La La Land, I, I still hear a lot of good things. Now, that. assuming that Hillary wins... Does that change? Do people I feel I feel quite confident it's it's uh, noon on election day. I feel personally confident, knock on wood, that Hillary's gonna win. <laughs> Does that is that gonna change like are people then gonna be like, Hey, we're great. Let's like give it to Moonlight. Oh God, I don't know. It's it's you know the indus- the movie industry is such a slow moving thing. You, you to turn that cruise ship takes a long time. Right. It's it's hard to know if uh, how the national mood might affect. Because I have that. heard that the response to La La Land is is divided. That some people love it and some people not so much. But it isn't an, like a hopeful, I love happy it. movie. You know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Slumdog Millionaire won the year that Obama won, and that's a movie about you know an underdog coming up from mm. nothing, and you know I, I think people like. At the time, like literally, like it's the Obama of movies, which was yeah. crazy. But it so worked. is La La Land <laughs> is La La Land about a female scrappy striver, the Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Or it's a love like, letter yes. to the establishment, the Hollywood establishment <laughs> instead of the political establishment. You can really take this a lot of ways. It's the it's the Hillary <laughs> of movies. <laughs> God. Yeah, I, I I would like to see that on the poster. Mike Hogan, <laughs> Hillary <laughs> movie. <laughs> Luckily, Richard Lawson is already quoted on the posters, so uh, he's he's representing us well. I'm Bobby Finger, and I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, "Who the heck is that?" Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire. 
But when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. Well, this is a nice segue into politics and movies uh, with The Crown, which is about, I, I guess it's kind of a, another form of escapism because it's about uh, political figures who are in the past and also not in this country. Uh, Joanna, you've watched, have you watched all of The Crown? I have. Oh I my did. God. Yes. Man, it's 10 episodes that debuted on Netflix last Friday. 10 hours that I devoured of British political intrigue. It's so good. I'm really excited to watch it. It's so good. Is it like a, if you love Downton Abbey, you'll love this kind of thing? Or do you feel like it has an even broader appeal? God, I think it's so much better than Downton Abbey. You know, Vanity Fair obviously has a long love affair with the British royalty. I am not one of those people who has ever had like stars in their eyes for the British royalty. So like, this was not necessarily going to be a hit with me. But I think Peter Morgan, who also did the film The Queen with Helen Mirren and The Audience, also with Helen Mirren, right, the play, uh, has, has spent a long time I'm studying Queen Elizabeth. And so to see this figure at the very start of her career, to see a play beautifully by Claire Foy, to see it mirrored with Winston Churchill at the end of his career, played by John Lithgow, to meet all these other figures that were emerging in British politics in the 1950s, other prime ministers, other cabinet members, private secretaries in, in the palace, all of this, it's just enthralling to me. And you know, Peter Morgan's a very classy writer. He, for the most part, avoids the most salacious take that, he, you know, I was sort of comparing this to the people versus OJ Simpson, oh. which was smart. It was smart. It was really compelling, but it was also kind of trashy at times. And I feel like this, this take is the smart and the compelling without feeling the need to go the, tra- I like the trashy of people versus OJ, of course, but like, Without even having to dip into that, you have the love affair of Princess Margaret, but the only reason that that is a centerpiece in season one is because it's just a huge, huge thing that Elizabeth had to grapple with right at the start of her rule. And the other thing I want to say is that Jared Harris shows up as King George, ooh, I don't know, the fourth? Uh, Elizabeth's Elizabeth's father. father. I don't know the number. Yeah, Elizabeth's father, the dying king, and he is incredible. And I say that as someone who thought he was just incredible on Mad Men as Lane Price. But this is this is the performance of Jared Harris's career oh as this monarch wow. who is just like it's he he's in he's in a significant part of the first two episodes and then spoiler alert flashbacks for the rest of the season because he dies. Uh but <laughs> This is the sequel just, to the King's speech. Yeah, well, this is this is the Colin Firth, <laughs> right. right? That's that George, the stuttering right. King George. Exactly, okay. the stuttering uh-huh. King George. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he and he barely stutters, uh, but you see it, and it, you know, and you see his relationship with his brother, who was uh, that was also part of the King's speech and all of that. How about his speech um, therapist? Do we get him in there? I don't. <laughs> no, Jeffrey Rush, not a <laughs> single <laughs> peep. That's fine. Um, but I think if Lee but, Daniels uh, had produced, that would have made that would have found its way in. Yes. Definitely. So anyway, I just, I I thought it was amazing. I am a sucker for costume drama and I'm also a sucker for 
uh, you know, a deep bench of British actors. So you have, you know, Jeremy Northam and Greg Wise and all, just all these like really, really fine actors that they got. The production value is insane. We know that Netflix spent millions and millions of dollars on this and it shows in the best way. And I'm just a huge fan. I think it's the best thing Netflix has done all year for me for my taste whoa so. better than stranger things but, oh wait <laughs> yeah for me way better than stranger things you know okay. how netflix has their little al- algorithms right yeah. uh whatever this show is it's like the joanna algorithm <laughs> you know they're like oh we've got people who like british things and costumes and and women being strong and tested and right. yeah it's the, it's the joanna robbins it's the joanna robinson of shows so, i just watched um, yeah. narcos i just completely binged inhaled you might say snorted uh, uh-huh. two seasons uh-huh. of narcos but this is better than yeah. narcos did you like narcos i only saw the first season of narcos okay. to be fair and okay. um i do like this better than narcos but i think narcos okay. is uh, a little underrated yeah. uh, do you agree mike like that i mean you inhaled two seasons but i i think it doesn't get quite the respect it deserves yeah i, I well right? i know i mean I, th- I thought it was like phenomenally great but um i might have just gotten caught up in it um but uh, also, uh, I, I, it's funny what you say about the trashiness, because actually that's one of the things that I liked about Downton Abbey was, was the, the sort of silliness of it. Um, but I think that right. that didn't really come into play until later seasons. The first one was, was really sort of just a perfect little drama. And then it was Jewel after a while thing. where you could see Julian Fellows or whatever just being like, oh, what the hell else am I going to do with these people? I got to <laughs> do a car crash. I got to have a secret kid. Well, and with the Royals, you know all this crazy stuff that's coming. Right. Like, it's you like know, it's season real. four, Diana shows up and it's going to be a whole different fascinating show. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's the thing. They plan to do, what is it, six seasons? To I don't take, know. Sounds about you right. Know, Queen Elizabeth's entire reign. So, of course, the Diana stuff is coming. And what's fascinating then is to watch this season, watch her grapple with Princess Margaret's affair and the notion of divorce and the church and what's mm. allowed royals and what isn't. And knowing that that is just going to come right back around with Diana and Charles wow. uh, is re- it's really interesting. Here's yeah. here's something no actress should want to do. Play Diana. That's like it's like trying to play OJ for Cuba. He just cannot. Yeah, well, Naomi Watts tried it with that movie that did get released eventually. She yeah. had a Diana movie that just kind of fell apart. I mean, yeah. it was made, but no one ever saw it. So who Good knows? Good luck. There are also just a few actors that popped up in this season with very small parts that I was surprised I didn't save them for later seasons of The Queen. Like, you know, Stephen Delane, who plays Stannis on Game of Thrones, shows up to play this uh, modernist painter in a great episode and a half appearance. But that's it. Like, that painter's not coming back. And I was like, really? You used Stephen Delane for that? You didn't want to save him for, I don't know, whatever figure we have coming? And there's also <laughs> just, uh, you know, I I feel like I, I consider myself relatively familiar with the royals not an obsessive uh but relatively familiar and there's still just a lot of information in this that i wound up you know looking up on wikipedia that's one of the joys of watching a real life thing unfold is googling wait what actually (laughs) happened wait this did actually happen oh my god so yeah it's it's really lovely and uh, you know peter morgan just has like a really refined touch i agree with you mike that downton abbey season one was 
Spectacular. I really love that first season. And I would compare it to that to the first season of Downton. So looking at the Emmy side of things, you know, for our awards connection, it's interesting because Netflix has had, you know, some really high profile success at the Emmys. Like it's had a lot of actors win. Uzo Duba is kind of a perennial favorite. Matt Mendelssohn won this year, but they've never won a series award, even though House of Cards was such a big deal when it when it debuted. And it really seems like this kind of lavish, beautiful, expensive thing is a way for them to be like, hello, yes, you have to pay attention to, to us. You know, if they still feel like the new kids in town, this might be a good way to fix that. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know that it's going to get there. Like, I'm I'm really curious to see how much people wind up talking about this show, actually, because I know season two is already filming. So like they're they're going to do a season two, but it's so expensive. Um, We know Netflix has deep pockets, but uh, I'm not seeing a lot of buzz around it other than like nerdy British costume drama loving people like (laughs) myself. So I don't know if it has like the breakout appeal of Stranger Things to become a wider uh, interest thing. Then again, Bloodline wasn't and Ben Mendelsohn won an award. I could see I could see like Jared Harris getting an acting award. I really could. Um, And I certainly believe that Claire Foy, who plays Queen Elizabeth, should be nominated because she is exquisite. The Jared Harris thing would fit pretty nicely into a standard Emmy move, which is to take somebody for the next thing after it's it's kind of like the Julie Louis Dreyfus, you know, you're gonna get Emmys right. until you die right. because we all love Seinfeld and <laughs> Veep's pretty good too. Yeah. Right. We miss Mad Men, so here right. you go, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> well and given how well Down Abbey did with the Emmys for so long, like those Royals loving people like you probably make up a lot of Emmy voters. Yeah, no, I, I would I would expect that this is going to get a lot of and and in terms of costuming and set design, like it has a shot at a lot of technical awards. The costuming is no surprise by Michelle Clapton, who does Game of Thrones. So when I saw her name of the credits, I was like, Of course, of course it's Michelle Clapton. Uh it's it's incredible. It's just is really that incredible. what she so. left Game of Thrones for? Yeah, I believe so. Man. She briefly left Game of Thrones to launch another show about political intrigue. <laughs> and, and, you know, and there are moments like in the finale, like I said, it's it's not over the top. Like, I think this series is really restrained. But there is a moment in the finale when, you know, you sort of see all the threads come together and sort of previewing the threat of future seasons with like, what we know Elizabeth had to grapple with during her reign. And it's a little montage and it's a little thronesy. Like it's a little like at the end of the Game of Thrones, when you see all the individual storylines headed towards their thing they're going to do next season, you know? So I'm sure the Netflix wanted a little bit of that Thrones, Queen Cersei, Queen Elizabeth uh, vibe from it. Well, I, I do think awards for a, a project like this, if we're concerned that it's not going to have and really never could have the kind of online buzz of like a Game of Thrones type of a show or a Walking Dead type of a show. If it does kind of come in and get a bunch of Emmy love, that's going to give them a lot more reason to keep going than if it's just like, oh, a lot of Netflix subscribers like this and people admire it, but we're not seeing like a distinct payoff from this $100 million budget or whatever it is. Yeah, although they've got all the money in the world, so keep spending it. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's that. Yeah. Well, Mike, now it's your time to tell us all about something that we may or may not love. Okay. Uh, Joanna and I have not seen Arrival, but you have. It's kind of a, it's a big release this weekend coming on the heels of Doctor Strange, another version of Outer Space. I don't know. I didn't see Doctor Strange, so I don't know. How yeah. Much, <laughs> I don't know how much Outer Space And then space we have Passengers. Is. Then we get Passengers coming. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it, it's yeah. It's a lot of space stuff going on. So, uh, yeah, Arrival played at Toronto, and people really seem to be falling in love with it. It's from uh, Denis Villeneuve, who made uh, Sicario last year. He made Prisoners before that. His movies tend to attach a really fervent fan base, but this one seems to be hitting even more people. So uh, what's Arrival all about? Yeah, and I know that you 
don't tend to like not his, his not movies. usually. I really didn't like Prisoners, and it's kind of uh, I've been kind of working my way out of I that. Mean, I like that's Sicario an abusive better. film, but it's I I liked it. I I, I liked it quite a yeah. bit. And uh, Sicario, I thought was amazing. I liked and just the parts sound. Of Sicario. Yeah, no, you know, the there's sound. the sound of this guy's movies is, and and I'm like a music fanatic, and so it, it almost starts with the sound. Like you just know you're in good hands. The way that he sets the the sound design, it's all that. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's sort of but a twist on the Christopher Nolan, but there's a lot of just like. Wah. It's not a Bram. It's kind of like these really grinding uh, soundtracks. It's Bramish. It's Bramish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Amy Adams is really good, and it's just an incredibly haunting thing. You know, like all these movies, it's pulling in stuff from Close Encounters and from, you know, District 9. Basically, these giant ships arrive on Earth in a bunch of different countries and everybody's trying to figure out what the hell it means and what do they want. And and so Amy Adams comes in and is is enlisted because she's a scientist and she and Jeremy Renner are sort of working together. The military brings them in. Forrest Whitaker is great as this colonel who's sort of trying to like figure out what the hell is going on before the lunatic hotheads in the military take over. Uh, <laughs> Force Whitaker in this and Rogue One. He's just yeah. rocking outer space. Yeah. So they don't, you know, they don't have a lot of time to kind of get to the bottom of what these aliens want. Is this a threat? Is this a, you know, an overture? It's certainly really spooky. And so there's just this weird feeling of kind of dread mm-hmm. hanging over the whole thing, which is that's, I guess that's Villeneuve's mood, yeah, right? He does yeah. dread really yeah. well. Yeah, and like variations on Dread. You know, Sicario yeah. has a different kind than Prisoners. What I like about Sicario and, and this one is that in both cases, it's this really uh, tough woman yeah. at the at the center of it, basically using her wits to kind of like try and get through what's seemingly an impossible situation. Yeah. And then, you know, it's gorgeously shot, really nice performances. Jeremy Renner is, is more likable here than he has been maybe ever. I mean, he, he, he kind of made his, look, but with all due respect, like he made his career playing sort of, you know, jerks. So, yeah. um, so it was cool. It's cool to see him in a supporting role where he's like, pretty cool guy he's kind of a he's like a, 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 a ostensibly a jerk but you've you know with the heart of gold type yeah of deal. yeah and then there is this twist you know which i don't want to say anything about but it ends in a kind of a nolan-y place where you're like whoa okay mm. everything i saw has a new light on yeah it. i keep hearing people talking about the twists and it's kind of nice because no one has really come close to spoiling it for me but yeah. I, i'm aware that there's it's almost a, a like too there. weird to Spoil. Do you know what I mean? I I mean, I I would have a little bit of a hard time explaining exactly, but I also saw it about a month and a half ago. Yeah. At one of these screenings where I felt very lucky to be there. So take everything I say with a (laughs) giant grain of salt. I also met Amy and Jeremy there. Um, Good friends now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, We're pals. But no, it's a cool film. Yeah. I mean, I want to hear about Amy Adams a little bit more because she, I mean, she's going to reach the point where she's going to set a record for Oscar nominations without a win. Um, but yeah. I mean, it feels like this is really going to help her get there. Like, it's a, is it that she's so good at this point that we expect her to be good? And therefore, when she turns into a good performance like this, and it's like, oh, well, you're just being great like Amy Adams is. I, I think that might be what it is. I, yeah. Because I think a lot of times when you give someone the award, it's you're like, holy shit, I never imagined that you would do that. And with Amy, you're just like, of course, this is yeah. your like a perfect in this role well Meryl Streep went 20 25 years between her Oscars yeah. which seems crazy because every time she blows people away yeah and so I mean there's something about Amy Adams I think that is even though she's definitely 100% a movie star 
on the range of thespian to movie star, mm-hmm. I think she's still on the thespian side. And mm-hmm. those those people, you know, they're graded on a different curve. Like if a full on movie star who makes everybody faint when they walk down the street can actually act, you're sort of like, holy cow, mm-hmm. like give this person an award. Uh-huh. You know, whereas somebody who came into it, got their stardom by being amazing in a lot of stuff, they frequently will get a supporting for their first sort of like amazing breakout. But once they're like past June that. Like Junebug that which Amy Adams did. Yeah. And then once they're past that, they're sort of like, you know, you're like, yeah, Amy Adams. Yeah. Because we, we saw her being great in the very beginning. And now it's yeah. just kind of her default. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like know. you guys are all forgetting about Drop Dead Gorgeous, which was oh, Amy Adams' real she's first She's amazing. No, I mean, Drop Dead Gorgeous <laughs> is full of so many amazing performances that it's hard for her to stand That's out. True. But no, it, it's Drop Dead Gorgeous is a real all time favorite, and she's great in that. <laughs> <laughs> My question then is you know, if we're going to have this conversation around Arrival as a best actress vehicle and possibly even a a best picture contender. Uh, what does the fact that it's a genre film, like a hard sci-fi film, how does that affect the chances or are we past that past genre prejudice? Like, what do we think? That's interesting. Cause even with the Martian last year, we kept talking about genre prejudice and then, you know, it made it in there. It wasn't like a big contender, but it made it in so safely that it really does now feel like no one's talking about that with arrival. Yeah. I think it still makes it a hurdle to win. Mm-hmm. Right. Because basically Villeneuve is like, He's like, uh, I'm trying to think of the author to compare it to, but it's really high class sort of pulp, mm-hmm. you know, he, w- whether he's doing sci-fi or whatever he's doing. I mean, Sakari is like a Don Winslow novel. And this one is whoever is the best kind of person at high class sci-fi. Something like that, right? Yeah. So, but, but more modern. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no question that you can give it a best picture nomination, but I think for it to win, it would have to get to another level that it doesn't get to because at the end of the day you're just in hand really enjoying something it's very christopher nolan-y mm-hmm. the same reason why it's hard for nolan mm. to win but if is it this. if it became a mega hit like gravity like would that be a different conversation because remember people thought gravity was gonna walk away with it all yeah i i mean i i'm sure right i mm-hmm. think i don't know that it's gonna become a mega hit yeah well gravity was a whole its own kind of spectacle yeah, yeah. I mean, George Clooney and and Sandra Bullock—that's like some the 3D serious that blows your mind. freaking star power. And, yeah. and the 3D Gravity was this almost self-contained little. It was almost more awardsy in the way mm-hmm. that it was like showing off. Like yeah. we yeah, did yeah, yeah. something very simple, but we did it so well that no one will ever be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. This is a more conventional, but like Nolan-y sci-fi. But you keep like you keep bringing up space movies as if they're quite the same as like an alien invasion movie, like Sandra Bullock in space, or even you know Matt Damon on Mars. I feel like is a more in the continuation of like Apollo thirteen, like things mm. that actually could credibly happen versus an alien invasion, yes. which you know m- might spark like Independence Day to people, or you know the visions of spaceships in the sky evoke summer entertainment more than it does you know Oscar. So you know I'm really excited to see Arrival. I I love Villeneuve uh, as opposed to Katie, who's a hater. Um, oh, but man. I, I hope he's not uh, no, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm really excited to see sort of what it does with that, not just genre, but like that cliche, that movie cliche of the alien invasion. And what I've yeah. heard from people is that it's a really fresh take on it. So yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's one part, it's one part close encounters meets inception. Um, but it definitely has a new take on it. There's stuff that you haven't seen before. You know, despite those building blocks, 
but I will say, you know, Spielberg benefits by having a really big kind of mawkish streak mm-hmm. that appeals to Oscar Emotional, voters, and say. Villeneuve does not. Yeah. I mean, this thing is fucking cold. Mm-hmm. This is a cold movie. Like Christopher Nolan. Yeah. 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 Well, those of us who've been watching Westworld are all bathed in that Nolan chilliness, so maybe oh it's a, the time is right. <laughs> I'm just glad I can watch something Joanna loves that isn't Westworld <laughs> after this, after this uh, conversation. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor. Let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. So we're going to go big before we go home and turn to the best original song category. Joanna, you have a major advantage here because you've seen Moana, where I assume the winner is going to come from, even though I know nothing about the songs in the movie. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, y- you know, honestly, it's a it's a bit of a cheat, I think. You and Richard talked about this on the podcast. I think the Lin-Manuel Miranda momentum might push Moana into a place that maybe it doesn't quite deserve. I think the songs, I've heard better songs from Lin-Manuel Miranda. A little thing called Hamilton might be better. <laughs> yeah, a little a little thing called Hamilton. But uh, there is a big sweeping sort of inspirational show-stopping number uh, that Lin actually sings on in the movie, even though he's not a character in the movie. He, his voice is on the song. I definitely think he will be performing that at the Oscars. Um, whether or not that gets him the Oscar, I don't know. But I, I would say that would have my bet right now. Mike, what do you think? I the only thing I even know or have heard is the stuff from La La Land. I mean, La La Land is a definitely a strong position in this. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting because I have a jazz fanatic friend who saw La La Land and was like, who who is so similar to um, uh, Damien Chazelle. Uh-huh. I was like, you are Damien Chazelle. Go see the movie. <laughs> And he came back and he's like, I love the movie. The, the music is terrible. <laughs> but I don't think that, but he represents such an extreme like jazz nerd. I mean, I feel like that's actually what Miles Teller's character from Whiplash would have said as well, mm-hmm. which so it all just underscores <laughs> my theory that this friend of mine is Damien Chazelle. Yeah. Bottom line is, I think the music's pretty good. You know, I mean, it's not quite singing in the rain, but like it's, it's good. And um, I imagine that if La La Land has the kind of momentum I'm sort of anticipating that it'll be in there. But man, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda I know. is practically God at this point. <laughs> so yeah. how could they not, you know, if they have a chance to give him an Oscar, I think they just will. Yeah. I will say walking out of La La Land, I was like, there isn't one song. Like most uh, predictors have the audition song, I think, as the breakout from that. And that's Emma Stone's from the end of the movie. Emma Stone's performance, you know, and I'm sure it'll be nominated. Emma Stone will sing it at the Oscars, but I don't think it's the best song. And I don't know what the best song is from that movie. Whereas like with something like Moana, there's just a clear choice. So I I don't know. Well, I think you guys are probably right that Limo and Miranda and whatever the song is from Moana you're talking about, which I'm sure we'll all have stuck in our heads soon enough. But if there's going to be a dark horse, I'm putting my money behind 
drive it like you stole it from mine and yours favorite yes. movie, Joanna, Sing Street. Uh, which, Mike, I don't know if you've seen Sing Street. No. It, uh, it came out earlier this year. It's from uh, John Carney, oh, who made oh, Once. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that the, guy. It is it's such a charming movie, and it's got all these original songs that these kids in this band uh, write, but there's one clear standout song called Drive It Like You Stole It that I have stuck in my head now just thinking about it. Well, I mean, the Once um, soundtrack mm-hmm. is so phenomenally Well, great. and Once is a winner in this category. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah, he a has a real... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think this movie's probably too small. It's not even... You know, it didn't make the impact that it once did, but... It can't, it, it can't be Lin-Manuel, I'm sorry. No, I'm no, it's not going to. Right but out. if it gets a nomination, I'm going to get nominated. Yeah. 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 I would. I just want to see these kids perform at the Oscars and have a I bunch know. of people be like, I want to rent Sing Street on iTunes, which is what I did. And I was totally delighted. So everyone go watch Sing Street and then get that song stuck in your head. Did you watch them perform at Sundance? Because they did a bunch of on-stage performances. The no. kids did a bunch of on-stage performances at Sundance. They actually filmed Sing Street a couple of years ago. So it's a little alarming because they're like <laughs> handsome young men now. And it's just like, they're. it's not like the Stranger Things kids performing at the Emmys. You're like, whoa, <laughs> these kids are men. So, uh, yeah. That does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you so much for listening. And please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us find new listeners as this award season gets going. You can find us all at VanityFair.com. And on Twitter, I'm at Katie Rich. Joanna? I'm at Joe Rothis. And Mike, who just had to step away, is at Mike underscore Hogan. And we're all at Little Gold Men. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner, who is celebrating her birthday today. Happy birthday, Alana. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for best description of the mood on election day goes to Mike Hogan. Is this a threat? Is this a, you know, an overture? It's certainly really spooky. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.